Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Thursday, May 28th. My name is Javier Reyes, of course, your host of this here Lockdown Padres podcast. Check out and follow the Twitter page for the show, which is at LO underscore Padres, or my personal account, which is at Javapeno. That's spelled J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, of course. And if you feel so inclined, hit me up on there or the Gmail, which is LockdownPadres at gmail.com. With any questions, comments, or concerns you might have, I always love chatting with the fans. I always like chatting with the non-fans, whatever. You know, I, I like hearing your feedbacks. I, I like hearing your thoughts. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking like this. I don't even know what accent that was. That was odd. But yes, today's episode, guys, is also brought to you by Built Bar. Remember to go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. And today's episode, as promised, is part two of my chat with Gabrielle Starr of Locked On Red Sox. Very fun stuff, guys. This one today on this podcast, we each are nominating uh, a bunch of pieces a bunch of sports writing pieces that we personally elect to our personal Hall of Fame. Writing that we love so much. Baseball writing that really touched us in a, in a multitude of ways. This is a lot of fun. Very heartfelt in a lot of ways, too. And just overall a good conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. And without further ado, let's go! But now for the, the kind of secondary part of this, uh, this podcast I want to talk to you about is I asked you to come up with... Uh, remember, jot down some of your favorite like sports baseball writing pieces that you've ever personally read. Um, I know I have three of them, and I know you have a few of them. So if you wanted to start, since you are the guest, I thought we would just do this uh, fun little thing and nominate some of our favorites. Sure. Yeah. So the first one that comes to mind is very random, but and I don't even remember how I found it, but this article that came out in Esquire in September 1999 and you'll mm. actually appreciate this as a Yankees fan um, <laughs> it's called the house it's called the house that Thurman Munson built and mm. it's by Michael paternity paternity I can't pronounce his name but he's <laughs> excellent so I was I actually was reading this in New York and it was I was so engrossed with it that I missed my subway stop <laughs> and had to get <laughs> off the subway go up the platform, go down and go back because I had missed my subway stop. And it's just, you know, talking about the Yankees losing Thurman Munson and just, it was so stunning. I was crying and I literally missed my subway stop. So there's, that one was probably one of my favorites I've ever read. And I'm trying to think like I had another one. Um, So my problem is that I will open up a million tabs on my like phone safari of articles I want to read. I try to read one new article about sports every single day in the morning and one when I'm going to bed mm. so that at, at the very least I'm, I'm reading something different than like the things I read just to keep up with the news. And I know this isn't like a sports writing one, but I loved it. It came out recently. It was in the Atlantic. Um, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters wrote, mm-hmm an article called the day the live concert returns and it's not about sports. It's about music, but it, it was very much, you know, the concerts and sporting events have, you know, the similarity of thousands of people coming together for, you know, a single reason, a unified cause. 
um, a form of enjoyment that you can't always mm. put into words. And I, it gave me chills reading it, just thinking about being at a baseball game at Fenway Park um, and being, you know, with all the people that I love. And it was just wonderful, just like, and also very sad because I don't think that sports will look like that for a long time. And I know that personally, I won't feel very safe going into, I mean, Fenway Park is one of the smallest, if not the smallest major league ballpark. It only seats about 37, 38,000 people. But I don't know how long it will take me to feel safe being around, you know, even five people, let alone being in a ballpark of thousands of people. So Mm -hmm. that one was really excellent. And I mean, I've read so many articles, but I think I'll just, I'm I'm, going to throw one of my own in there Um, Mm -hmm. just because I loved writing it. It it was really special to me just because it was weird. And um, I wrote it for fan graphs for the hardball times. It was one of my Mm -hmm. first freelance pieces that I ever wrote for them. And I called it justice for the bandwagon because you and I both see people on Twitter thinking that it's their decision. Who's a fan? Who's not? What a real (laughs) fan looks like. Um, and I get it a lot as a critical sports writer where I'm, I'm hard on the Red Sox and I'm not hard on them because I don't love them. I'm hard on them because sometimes they're not good and they deserve to have someone be hard on them. Like, I'm not going to say that everything's amazing when they have, you know, 30 blown saves in a season. That's not amazing. That's bad. And, and I think that it's possible to love your team without thinking without making it seem like they're perfect because if i pretended that the red sox were perfect then people would call me out for that and they'd be like oh she's not a real sports writer she's just a fan so you can't really win either way but my point is that during last year especially i was really enjoying watching other teams play baseball because the red sox were incredibly frustrating Mm. right out the gate and i love watching baseball And so I can appreciate other teams being good, especially when they're not playing my favorite team. And I don't, I'm not rooting against, like I would never root against the Red Sox ever, but I enjoy watching other teams. And like, you can root for other teams to win over other teams. Like, I don't see what's so crazy about that. And people would be like, oh, you're just a bandwagon. You know what? Like what's so wrong? So I wrote Mm -hmm. about, I wrote it called justice for the bandwagon. And I, talked about the origins of the word bandwagon and why it's now equivalent to being a fake fan and the watching the nationals play in the postseason and just talking about why it's not a bad thing to be a bandwagon fan. It was just really fun to write. It was different than anything I'd ever really written before. Um, and it was special. And when I read it out loud to my mom, she cried, which was, uh, not unsurprising. Aww. She does that a lot, but it was just really sweet because it was just, it was, you know, different. And I had gotten out of my comfort zone writing about it and I liked it. And I think it's fair to say that you should think that some of your own writing should be some of your favorite. Not to say that you think you're the mm-hmm. best or that mm-hmm. you, because I definitely, there are so many writers in the world who are so infinitely better than I am. But I will say that I take pride in my work and 
there are times when I'll be looking for something on Girl at the Game, you know, to reference, and I'll come across an article I haven't read in a couple years, and I read it, and it makes me smile. And that, and the fact that it, you know, makes me smile, makes me happy because you sh- because I take pride in my work, and I I like what I read. And the thing with Girl at the Game was that I liked. I always try to write the stories that I would like to read mm-hmm. because there are a lot of kinds of stories out there that are very good, but I always, a lot of times I'll think to myself, well, I would have written it this way, or um, I would have done this. And so one of the reasons I wanted to become a writer in general was because I wanted to write about, read, write about things that I would like to read and that other people would like to read. Well said. <laughs> well said. Uh, that Thank was poetic you. in a lot of different ways. I think uh, I, I agree. And I think that when it comes to writing and I think that you you nailed it there. You just you kind of got to start with what do you want to read? You know, it, are people going to like it? I don't know. People uh, you never know what people are going to like. It's, it's too hard to really project that. I think these days that's not how great writers who reinvented things or whatever. That's, they didn't set out going and being like, oh, yeah, people are going to love this new idea that I come up with. You just you just never really know. Um, I'll have to check out that Hardball Times piece, too. Um, I saw it when I was looking up the site. I just didn't read it. Um, but I actually agree. And shout out Hannah Kaiser, who does the show called The Bandwagon, which kind of echoes a little bit of the same sentiment that you were mentioning. Uh, love that show. I uh, really wish it would come back. Um, but yes, it's um, she's great. Yeah, she's awesome. One of my favorite. I'll send you. Uh, I'll send you the link because I had I had the uh, bandwagon article bookmarked on my phone. All right. Dope. And, and if, if people want, I'll link to that in the description of the podcast. Whoa, 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 just hold on a second, cowboy. We got to take a quick second, guys, to talk to you about Built Bar. I've talked to them before. They're awesome. They make candy bars. Oh, I'm sorry. They just taste like candy bars. They make protein bars that taste exactly like candy bars, and they're super healthy and great for you. They've got 16 amazing flavors, eight chocolate nut flavors, and eight chocolate nut-free flavors. They're covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. And, of course, they are absolutely awesome for the health-conscious sort of guy or gal. Even schmucks like me who are trying to get back into being more health-conscious. They're very, very helpful and appreciated. Loser maintain weight while indulging in the treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. So if you guys want to check it out, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Remember, that is promo code locked on for $10 off at BuiltBar.com off your first order. I said it correctly there. Remember, it's Built Bar. Get it. Get going to it. Do it. It's great. Woo! Um, I guess for me now, to go through some of my nominations to the Javier and Gabriel favorite baseball writing on the Lockdown Padres podcast Hall of Fame inductees. <laughs> so one of mine is, it's one of the first, It's it's a silly one. Not something that's particularly goes into a story, but it was one of the first pieces I discovered and I stumbled upon that I was like, oh, now I, I remember how, like, how much fun I could have just reading sometimes. And that, believe it or not, is You're Killing Us Small, the only Sandlot power rankings you'll ever need. This was written by Shay Serrano, like something like five years ago in Grantland, the former uh, ESPN affiliate site. Uh, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just power ranking all the Sandlot characters. The Sandlot is... One of my favorites, uh, maybe one of my favorite movies ever, one of my favorite sports movies ever. Uh, we've probably discussed it on the podcast already with the, the sports movie madness. That'll be coming up certainly in round two. Can't wait to to talk about whatever that one has to go up against. And I just liked it. It was funny. It was witty. And I think that's what was, was so interesting about it. It was the first time I'd read a, oh, this is just a funny, goofy kind of piece. 
and I hadn't read something about anything about sports related in a while, you know, and this is my high school phase. Lord knows what I was doing in high school. It's probably, I would incriminate too many people, perhaps Gabrielle, if I talked about what I did in high school. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding, of course, but, or or am I? Uh, But uh, I I really enjoyed that piece. It was like, just one of the first, I think is how I would describe it. Voice cracked a little bit there. Uh, Just a little, like the first, I think that I um, experienced it was just really fun. And Chase Serrano is obviously uh, people know him. about him. We've talked about, we've talked about yeah. him before. <laughs> He's great. Uh, and to move on to another one. Now I have two. Uh, this is my second favorite thing. And it's not what you're going to be expecting. It's actually a book. It's a book called the boy who saved baseball by John Ritter. Now this is a little bit of a, a younger read. It's something John that I read Ritter, when I was like younger. The actor John Ritter. No. The Boy Who Saved Baseball by John A. Trader. Back in the day, young, young, young Javi, right? He didn't like reading all that much. He enjoyed a, a couple things every now and then, and he didn't, he just didn't get it. He liked playing video games. He liked watching movies and TV and all that stuff, right? I just didn't get books. And I remember this was it was the summer reading challenge, not challenge, but it was the 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 requirement we had to read, where we had to read one book, and then we could select a book from like a, a two-page. Uh, list right we could that we could have as an option right and naturally as someone who was starting to get a little bit into baseball this is like i'm gonna guess this was like oh five when i started doing this when i read this book um oh six maybe something like that i have to ask my mom she probably remembers it was and i chose it because i was like oh that's a cool title the boy who saved baseball this sounds grand this sounds great right and to this day i i consider it one of the stories that first got me into the idea of books and what they can be as a form of storytelling, as kind of one of the main original forms of storytelling, writing. And it's 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 a like I said, it's it's for kids. Um, it's definitely you can read it for sure, but it's definitely, you know, that's not for people as old as us, right? It's not that type of language. But to me, what makes it so impactful and so indelible in so many ways for me to this day, it has a lot of interesting themes in it that I don't think you would expect from a a, a sports a book about you know kids playing baseball you don't really expect it and that's it's got religious undertones in it one of the characters is named cruz de la cruz uh it's about you know saving a ballpark it's about you know what things it's just very and i, I don't want to i know that this is like a really old book and it's not necessarily something that everyone's going to go out and read especially if it was meant for a younger audience but just to talk about it a little bit one thing that I found so interesting about it was its message that you can change things and change people. And it's not so cut. And it's, it's so hard to explain it. But one of the impactful things in the book to me is this character, Cruz de la Cruz. It's this bad news bears baseball team. And they're going to lose their field called Lucky Strike Field because a, a, a road company is moving in or whatever it was. And one of the deals that the person who owns the town, the the millionaire, he's like, all right, if you guys can win this game against this super preppy, super prepared, uh, super well-financed baseball team, then we keep the field. So that's basically what the book is about. And The Boy Who Saved Baseball is not about the main character. The main character is not – he's a little bit of a Scotty Smalls. He's not very good. He's moderately talented, probably below average actually. And then there's this kid that comes along. His name's Cruz de la Cruz. And what's interesting is that he mysteriously just isn't there anymore come game time. And 
I find that to be a, a religious subtext. I mean, literally just read out the name to yourself, Cruz de la Cruz, the cross, whatever, right? And that's how I interpreted it. And I just, I'm not going to spoil the very end of the book and what happens, but I found it interesting, this idea that this person might not have ever really been there or this person was there only for a second, maybe it was a messenger. It's just interesting because it relates to kind of how I feel about my religious uh, views and whatnot these days where I, I'm not, I don't really know, you know what I mean? But it's, it's, I do believe in something, I think. And I feel like The Boy Who Saved Baseball, believe it or not, was one of those books that first brought that idea to me, brought this idea of higher powers, but not in a church organized sense. And that's what I found so interesting about it. And it's also about, you know, returning hope to people, people who are damaged, people who are have lost hope in a way. So I've, I've talked a little bit too much about this book right now. I feel like I need to like write something about it, honestly. You um, probably should. How, yeah, I really should. It's it just, sounds it's really very, nice. It's very good. It's, it's really pleasant. And like I said, everyone, if you go back and read it, meant for a younger audience for sure. But I think that the themes are still so um, timeless. That's what's so interesting about it. So to me, it's not one of my favorite books ever, uh, but it's definitely one of my favorite moments of reading a book ever. And I still remember getting to the end and being like, wow, like, what was that? Like, cause you know, I'm growing up and I'm like, oh, it's always about the, there's one book called Lucky Baseball Bat. I remember where it was just about a kid who found this magical bat and he would hit a home run every time and then it broke. And the lesson is, you know, other things don't make, you know, stuff like that. Like the cheesy kind of kids, like a like Mike. You make you know, your which own I think life. Yeah. You, you make your own luck. <laughs> Yeah, you make your own luck. You know what I mean? That's a sad a little bit like Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight, who's not exactly the <laughs> the character mm. you want to aspire to. But no. he uh it's it's that that's what it's like. And it's similar to like like Mike, you know what I mean? And then I read this book and I was like, huh, this is very interesting. It was about a culture of baseball and a love for the the game, regardless of what happens, I think. Not necessarily about winning or losing. And with a bunch of kids who were like me. They liked video games and they were they liked baseball. Don't get me wrong, they love playing it. But it wasn't like this diehard, like, oh, I'm going to go play for UCLA. Like, I want to, like, make it, you know? So that's what was so refreshing for me. Oh, who made that noise? Oh, that's right. It's me interrupting again from the conversation for just a second, guys, to talk to you about a special audiobook. That's right. This podcast is sponsored by the audiobook version of 24, Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. In this reflective and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares the inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as the greatest all-round player in baseball history, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. This special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and his co-author John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field this season or are looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 now wherever audiobooks are sold. Then the last piece to kind of um, round this out is my favorite piece of sports writing I've ever read. It is about baseball. It is about Boston. It is titled Yankees Suck, Yankees Suck. It is also from Grant Lands, the aforementioned site that uh, we mentioned about Shea Serrano by Amos Barshad. It is about the Gabrielle. You might be familiar with these. I don't know. Growing up in the kind of more Boston area, being a fan of that, these shirts they were called they were just Yankee Suck, right? That's what they had on them. It was it was kind of the anthem for Red Sox fans, especially before everything kind of changed for the better. Before they became before 04 happened, right? And 
it is a story that is so unbelievable. It is a Goodfellas movie. It is a movie about making money, and it's 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 genuinely feels like something that should be made into a movie. These shirts and the whole rise and fall story, and it's just this is one of those pieces that I preach. I wrote about it in college, actually. This is one of those pieces that I really emphasize a lot as to when people don't understand why sports are so important to people and why they are so much more than just the box score. There's so much more than just the highlight plays. Uh, This talks about that. It's a culture. It's a a fascinating story of, and look, I don't like Boston, but the piece, it grabs you. It starts out with a, with a shootout. I don't want to spoil literally anything more, but it's, it's insane. And it's just, yeah, these, these, these schmucks who went around selling these Yankee suck shirts and made a lot of money off of it. And just hearing all of their perspectives on it, um, it, this is for a Grant Land piece. It's a long read, uh, unlike the two that I've mentioned, or the book, I guess, is technically a long read. But uh, this is a longer article, so definitely make, you know, cut out like 30 minutes of your time uh, to really dive deep into it. It's illustrated nicely. There's, It's got that, like, those things they do sometimes for articles where they make the first letter in a paragraph, uh, like a fancy-looking letter, an illustration or whatever. It's got those, uh, and I really like that a lot. And it's funny that I never would have thought that one of my favorite pieces of sports writing would be about the Boston Red Sox, ostensibly about them at least. Um, and it well, is. Well, I never thought day. that the first article I talked about was about a former Yankee. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think if you're someone who truly loves the game of baseball, you can appreciate things about baseball that aren't necess- necessarily about your own team, mm-hmm. and even things about the team you hate the most Mm -hmm. like yeah of course there are going to be those fans the red sox fans who refuse to give a a jeter a credit right i i imagine that's a very small minority right and there's going to be yankee fans who refuse to give a a david ortiz credit and i actually love david ortiz and my mom does too my mom um just for some background her favorite player ever is jorge posada and she loved when ortiz um kind of like stuck up for him when uh there was like this drama i don't remember the exact specifics this is when i was like in maybe freshman year high school, something like that. Uh, and how she just loved how he stood up for him. I like Poppy. Poppy's funny. And he, he's also just funny. The Yankees lose, like all that. The he's, Yankees, he's yeah. I, <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> my um, favorite was when the when when uh, when he was doing his retirement tour and um, the Yankees, like I don't remember what they gave him exactly, but whoever was doing the presentation was like, I'm just glad you're leaving so I don't have to pitch against you anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, there's incredible. just like, a, just like a, a mutual respect there, like of you just, you just didn't. I mean, the same thing with like Mariano, like when Mariano was uh, getting, you know, eligible for the Hall of Fame, I wrote an article and I was like, if anyone, if you think, if you don't think that Mariano Rivera deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, like you're an mm-hmm. absolute moron. And Keith Folk was like, retweeted it i mean he's a friend of mine so like it wasn't like as shocking as it would be but like you have the the closer from the 04 team talking about how his opposing closer on their biggest rival a hundred percent deserved to be in the hall of fame Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah because at a certain point like you appreciate that mariano rivera is one of the best pitchers this game has ever seen we hated him but like boston fans respected mariano i don't think you can say that about all yankees players like Red Sox fans don't respect A-Rod, for example, um, or like Tyler Austin. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, there are there are players that you just like, 
you respect yeah. them. You just hated facing them because they were yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. It's 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 definitely one of those things. Um, but for me, like I have to admit, there's not there's not too many Red Sox currently that are just super hateable. But aside from the aforementioned ones that we talked about, and I just well, I know Chris that you're. Sale. Oh yeah, until Chris this Sale. Year, I mean, the thing is, statistically, until this season, Chris Sale owns the lowest ERA against the Yankees of any pitcher since 1920. Yeah. So mm-hmm. any starting pitcher. So mm-hmm. understandable why you would not like him. Aside mm-hmm. from the also the throwing thing, but mm-hmm. you it's understandable understandable why Yankees fans wouldn't like Chris Sale because Chris Sale was yeah. and still is Very and good. I believe will be when he comes back from his Tommy John because he's an absolute monster. Mm-hmm. Chris Sale was statistically the best pitcher against the Yankees in the last eighty plus ninety mm-hmm. plus years. Um yeah. and so you know it's one of those you hate him but you respect him. The thing that kills mm-hmm. me is when you see Red Sox fans or Yankees fans like making fun of the opposing team's players when they get injured. And yeah. I never think that's never okay. Yeah. Like I, I this was, a bad I was sending, I was sending well wishes to like, um, CC Sabathia mm. when he had his heart surgery last yeah. year. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Didi when Didi got hurt, I always loved Didi Gregorius. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's just a really bad look. Like you want to make fun of someone like I've called, I've called, um, what's his name? The guy I don't like, Gardner. Like Gardner. I was trying. I was. I almost <laughs> I called him Brett Boone. Him. I almost called him Brett Boone, and I was like, "No, that's Aaron Boone's brother." <laughs> um, I, I've called Brett Gardner the human thumb, like multiple <laughs> times because he looks like those thumb thumbs from Spy Kids to me because he's like bald and kind of square headed. Like, but like I'm just like you know comparing him to like a weird character from a movie. I'm not yeah. saying like I hope he gets like. I yeah, hope he yeah, needs yeah. like freaking Achilles surgery. Like that's just gross. Like who does that? Yeah, there's there's the a difference is between a lot the, of people on Twitter. Yeah, there's a there's a difference between the Twitter like ah, look at this this thumb from Spy Kids versus like I hope you get hurt and like you Meanwhile, the like, rest of your career after, is over. Yeah, like three innings after I made that thumb joke, he hit a freaking grand slam and and like the Red Sox <laughs> blew like an eight run lead and I was like mm-hmm. I this is what I get for calling Brett Gardner the human thumb. Incredible, incredible. One of my favorite players uh, growing up, and still to this day, uh, probably along with guys like Hunter Pence and and whatnot. Oh, I love and, Hunter Pence. Yeah, I love I love Hunter Pence. Um, and I and you, of course, and look, I like Poppy. Grew up, it was a hate thing, and now I'm like, I, I it was a hate because of the play and how good he was. Right, he was genuinely terrifying at the plate. And then it was oh, like, yeah. this guy is actually really funny. I think too. Um, and he had a great he moment during that. I know you have a like as your Twitter header uh the the girl power that's what he's wearing that shirt i forgot when this was but uh that's really that cool was, that, was, was, o- was, that was opening day that was opening day at fenway 2018 2018 um, and, oh wow and he he and ali reisman the olympian right mm-hmm. they came out and threw out first pitches together right. mm-hmm. and um he just like whipped open his Red Sox jersey and was wearing a shirt that said yeah. "Girl Power," and I was like, I was there, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. this is amazing. I that love must him be awesome. so much. That must be awesome. Um, just to quickly, ju- and then just to shout out some other pieces that I recommend people checking out. Um, I haven't read all of them, but there's actually some some nice Tony Gwynn uh, tributes just to get in some Padre stuff out there. Um, there's actually one fun. It's not even like the best piece ever, but it's just a nice in a vacuum piece to read about Tony Gwynn. It's from Samantha Stevens. It's from 1991 in the times uh, just about how he played. And it's actually has a quote from Joe Torre back when he was part of the Cardinals, which is just like a fun 
because I don't know if too many people um, associate Joe Torre as the Cardinals guy. I think they most of them uh, associate with him with the Yankees. So it's just interesting to like, oh yeah, like remember that uh, stuff like that, and just talking about the guy. Like well, now you associate Joe Torre with the with the guy who's in charge of. Um... Yeah, in baseball, video oh, yeah. replay, video replay, <laughs> yeah. uh, and like never ruling in favor of the Red Sox. But actually, he doesn't have that job anymore. He has a different job. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, um, I don't know. Those are some pieces that I recommend everyone checking out. Uh, check out Gabrielle's uh, website, Girl at the Game. Check out the podcast, and of course, check out Locked On Red Sox. Gotta check that out. She's doing great there. Um, Gabrielle, this was a a lot of fun. I must say. Javi, thanks so much for having me on. This was such a treat. It's so nice to get out of like our normal mm-hmm. welcome to locked on. There are still no yeah. sports kind yeah. of situation. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. the second month of that. So that's yeah. Rough. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh the mother effing star girl Gabrielle was a blast. <laughs> And cut. That is it for the conversation there, guys, with Gabrielle Starr of Locked On Red Sox. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much fun as we had recording it. It was really great. Um, Check out all those pieces I mentioned, guys. Check out the Yankee Suck, Yankee Suck on Grantland. Check out the Boy Who Saved Baseball. Check out uh the, the Love of the Bandwagon. I'm forgetting the name right now. The Justice for the Bandwagon. There we go. From Gabrielle and the Hardball Times. Really nice heartfelt piece there. Check out all the stuff. It's great. It's really great. And do some reading you know what else you're gonna do you're gonna stare at the wall and especially read some baseball stuff because it looks like we might not be getting into baseball this year i don't know if you guys have been following the news it's not looking too good Next week, guys, just so you know, just to to give you kind of a rundown, decided to save the time machine thing for next week. Next week is going to be going back to a year when, let's just say, uh, that one movie, Swingers. I think it's that's a pretty good movie. That's all the hint I'm going to give you guys. And then tomorrow, stay tuned for our Sweet 16 of the Sports Movie Madness. This was a great discussion. Seriously, I'm not just saying this to say it. Uh, This one, we have a particularly, uh, we have some heartfelt moments, and we have a really hilarious moment, too. Uh, And I'll give you more info on that on my Twitters. I'll be tweeting about it and all that stuff. So, that is it. That's all I have to say, guys. That does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, whatever, Himalaya, whatever. Follow the show or myself on Twitter. And if you guys would do me a favor and tell your smart devices to play Locked On Fantasy Baseball, hosted by the homie Scott Cullen. Oh, boy. Listen to that podcast. It's great. You got to love some numbers every now and then. Even if we might not be getting a season, you got to love the fantasy numbers. And maybe, hey, it'll help you at least pretend that we still got um, baseball coming up this year. Maybe it'll help you pretend and do your fantasy draft, even if we don't have baseball this year. Whatever. Go listen to that podcast. A lot of good stuff there. And until next time, of course, stay safe. And of course, of course, of course, stay faithful, my Friar Faithful homies. Take care.